Hello and welcome to the next installment of Optin NYC. I am one of your hosts, Officer Joe Galetta, joined in studio this week with John Negron. And unfortunately, that is the only host we have this week with me. But we do have a special guest, Winston Faison, Inspector Faison. We are moving right up the ranks. We have had sergeants, we have had lieutenants skipping over deputy inspectors and going right to inspectors now. Boss, can you give us an overview of your current role in the NYPD and what led to it? So I'm presently the commanding officer of the Youth Strategies Division. Um, That's a division under Community Affairs, and we do youth programming. And under um, YSD, we also have this beautiful community center. The community center is in East New York, which is where you grew up, correct? So what is it like being the commanding officer of a NYPD-run community center having grown up in this neighborhood? You know, um, I'm, I'm so proud to say I was born and raised in East New York. It's almost like coming home. So a lot of people come on this job to be a police officer, to do good, to change something, right? They want to do something better, help the society. But it's special when you can do it. You come home to your own neighborhood and help the people you grew up around. So it's like... It's like your happiness in NYPD times 10. It's, it's a beautiful thing because I, I drive through the same blocks that I grew up in. I went to school down a block. I graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School. It's r- literally right down a block. So I can go back to my old high school, talk to the kids. I grew up in this neighborhood. It's a, the connection is, is better. And I still live in East New York. My son right now is in the gym playing basketball. So and he brings his um, friends to the gym to play basketball. So I'm back home. Yeah, it's, it's a more uh, personalized way of giving back because you're not just giving back to any community, you're giving back to your community, the community you, uh, you came from. And that's, that, that's a really special thing. I, um, I moved to East New York kind of uh, halfway through my childhood. I used to live in Bushwick. And um, I know kind of spending, I think, the last six years here, I've had a lot of good experiences and, and a lot of bad experiences. How has those um, experiences in, in your childhood and, and growing up in this New York impacted your career and, and the choices you make? So when I grew up in East New York, I wasn't a big fan of the police department. And no one in East New York was a big fan of the police department. Uh, I can give you experiences that I had, the negative experiences I had with the police off- with police officers. Um, there's been times I got punched in the face just standing on the corner. I used to get searched so much when I saw a police officer, uh, a police car pull over, I just put my hands up. And, and it's I was searched so much that I thought, you know, the illegal searches that was being done to me was legal. Yeah. It's not until I got on the police department, I said, wow, the cops can't just stop you and go through your pockets because it happened so often growing up. So um, when I made the decision to, well, before I made the decision to come to NYPD, my first choice was to be a teacher. Right. So um, I went to Thomas Jefferson High School. I had a little problem in Thomas Jefferson High School my last year where it was an argument or something with my little sister. But anyway, they say you have to leave Thomas Jefferson High School. I end up going to Bushwick Outreach. I met a teacher there named Tabari, and he was like my mentor. That guy took me from Thomas Jefferson High School. I ended up going to Hofstra University. He changed my life. So I didn't have a father around. He was like my father. So he used to come up to school, give me money, hang out with me and all of that. So he, kind of, he changed my life. Um, so, when, so my dream was to be a teacher. Right. And it's funny because later on in the story, I met Tabari again 
he became the principal of a school in um, Boys and Girls High School, and I was the CEO of the 81 precinct. So it was, it was pretty dope to come full circle to meet him. But, you know, first I went to the Board of Ed, and then one day I said, you know what? Let me try this NYPD thing. And I always tell people, never follow money, follow like your dream. But this time, I followed the money. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, I was working the Board of Ed, I was teaching, and I said, you know what? I, got, I have my bachelor's. Um, to get top pay as a teacher, you needed your master's plus 60 credits above your master's, right? And I was like, and they make whatever probably was 75 grand. And I say, you know what? As NYPD, I could be a captain and I could make over 100 grand. So I decided to join NYPD, which was a great decision because I ended up doing what I love in NYPD. So it worked out. So it worked out pretty good. So I joined the department. I knew immediately I wanted to be in a position where I could make some changes, um, be in a position to make sure that the wrongs I saw the NYPD doing, I, can, I have some say. So I always was in the process of studying. Even when the test wasn't coming up, I always studied because I know I wanted to be at least a captain. And that's what I did. And I went up through the ranks really quickly. And, you know, at 12 years, I was a captain. That's determination. And I went through many, um, I, I went through, I was the XO to 60, XO to um, 61. I was the CO to 61. Then I was the CO to 81. And then I was luckily I came here and I got here because when this building opened up, I said, I know I have to be in this building. Um, I spoke to Chief Madry. I said, listen, I got to get in this building. But one day I was sitting in Chief Harrison, Rodney Harrison office. And he said, you know, what you want to do after the 81 precinct? I said, I want to go to community affairs and I want to work at 127 Pennsylvania Avenue. And he picked up the phone. He called Chief Hoffman. And two weeks later, I was assigned to 127 Penn. So what would you say is the purpose of this building? A lot of times, NYPD, we always say we want to build a relationship with the community. And I look at it a little differently because we're not here just to build a relationship with the community. Because that's you're saying you're only doing this for our benefit. So let's change it. So we, this building is here to serve the community, to make the community better. Forget about NYPD. And if you do that, if you look at it that way, what can we do in this building to better the community, the relationship will automatically build up. So some of the programs we have, uh, you know, a lot of times they go, let's just do programs, basketball, things like that. But it, those are nice programs and kids need things to do, but it's not lasting. It's not effectively changing. So we got to do programs to build the youth, you know, um, programs that after they leave, they can continue and do something to make money something tangible and not just having fun. So I think that's the core of this building. Yeah, that's definitely something I've always noticed. The department is always one and done with their events. Hey, we'll have a block party, which is great. We'll offer services and hand out pamphlets. Okay, but now what? So I, th I think it's great that the center can follow up with the kids and continue uh, setting up with the kids. And then I, I know um, you had mentioned when you were talking more about your backstory, about your experiences in the neighborhood. Now that you're back and you have the ability to cause change and, and to help the neighborhood, how is it now? You know, like from when it was when you were younger to how the community is now, what's the difference? Is, is it a positive change? Is it a negative change? It's definitely a, po a positive change. And, and it's it's positively changing, slowly, but it's changing. And it's a big difference from when I was growing up to now. And that's because 
people change. People ideas change. It's more people in the department that reflect the community, which is better. Still not a lot. Um, today, um, I posted on my Facebook account today, a lot of, it's Black History Month, and a lot of my colleagues, especially the executive, they was posting, um, I'm proud I was the first African-American who was in this position. So, you know, and I posted, there are many, most of the executive African-Americans on this job was the first at something. I was the first African-American CEO to 6-1 precinct, right? However, NYPD is 175 years old, right? And it's a shame it take 175 years to say the first, presently we have right, first timers right. in positions. And it's like, it's something to be proud of, but also you got to look back like, wow, we are really like first generation NYPD as African-Americans. So um, it's a lot of time that the reflection of NYPD didn't reflect the um, community. At that, let's take a moment to pause and hear a word from our sponsors. And we're back. So in addition to kind of being, you know, the guy in charge and you run the center, um, what else, you know, do you do? We know there's programs running. Do you do you run any of the programs yourself specifically? Yes, um, I do run one program, the Aviation for Us program. Um, and that's uh, aviation ground school. And we teach uh, young adults from 12 to 19 how to fly planes. So we'll start um, as a 12-week program. It'll, they'll meet once a week. I have two different slots. So we break them up into age, age groups. So I have 14 to 16 and 17 to 19. They'll meet Monday and Wednesday every um, for two hours, I want to have. And it's a 12-week program. They'll get the basics. They'll, they'll learn uh, the basics about aviation, how to communicate with ATC. They'll learn about the, the aircraft itself. They'll learn about airspace, everything for 12 weeks. And then at, in, at the end of the program, they all get an opportunity to go up to Farmdale and they get to fly a plane. So they actually get to navigate the plane well, fly from Farmdale. I let them fly to um, Brookhaven. We'll land a plane. Um, I get a couple of guys from Black Pilots of America. We all own our own planes, get about six planes. They all get up, we'll fly to the next airport. We'll land, eat, hang out, take pictures, and then fly back. So in the center here, you got, how are you guys doing? Like, what is ground training then? So ground training is, so before you become a private pilot, right, you have to take a written exam. And, you know, it's not that difficult, but it can be a little, you know, difficult. So we'll go through the, we'll go through the, um, the ground schooling. So, like I said, it, it starts from A to Z with the ground schooling. Everything you need to know, weight and balance, everything, everything you're about the plane, weather, before you get in a plane, you need to know the weather. You need to know the weight and balance of the plane. You need to know everything about the airport. You got to know how to communicate with ATC, ground, tower. You got to know how to work the instruments on the plane. So you got to know how to put in a flight plan. You should know how to load and approach. So they will know all of that before they get on the plane. That is a lot. Yeah. It's scary oh, for it's me. It's a 12-week program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thinking about it, it's so scary for me, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the kids, I mean, the young aviators, we call them, they do pretty well. So um, I have video of kids doing steep turns, 45 degrees steep turns, their first time 
and holding altitude and it, it's it's amazing uh can you tell us a little bit about your your own personal flying experience like how did you get into it and what made you decide you wanted to learn how to fly so i always wanted to learn how to fly a plane but you know in in east new york there's no pilots um that's a dream and it, it wasn't tangible i never knew a pilot anything in that nature but it was always in the back of my head and i used to always see planes and always wondering how do you get this two-ton plane in the air carrying all these people across the, you know so um it wasn't until once i became a cop no actually once i became a captain when i was CEO of the 61 precinct i met this one cop who was a pilot and he was like yeah i'll take you up flying but i was a little nervous right so i i didn't take that opportunity then i went to the a1 precinct i met another cop he said he was a pilot i'll take you up and i still wasn't comfortable but he was like listen the person who trained me he's a certified flight instructor he'll take you i said okay you know what let's go so we drive to we drive to um farmingdale we get there we're waiting for the certified flight instructor the cop get a phone call and the certified flight instructor said i can't make it but you can take him up so the cop looked at me and i'm two weeks inside the 81 precinct and he looks at me and he says i'll take you up and I'm like, yo, hold on. You're not even an NCO. You still do a patrol or a midnight, right? <laughs> but I was there. So I said, let's do it. So we, we went up the first time. I was really, really nervous. And really, you're nervous because you don't understand what's going on with the plane. You don't understand what's causing lift. You don't understand that. So you're thinking if something happened, anything happened. But if once you get knowledge of how the plane works, it gets a little bit more comfortable. So we did that. We start training. I started training, I got my private pilot, then I said, let's go further. I got my instrument rating so I can fly in the clouds and just using um, the instruments. I went a little further and said, let me get my commercial. I got my commercial and then I said, you know what? I wanna go back and teach. So I got my advanced ground school instructor certificate. And then I said, you know what? I also wanna teach flying. So then I went back and got my um, CFI. So I'm a certified flight instructor. So, so really coming full circle, back to being a teacher yeah, again. Back to being a teacher. So loving what I do in the NYPD. And that's the greatest thing about the police department because no matter what it is, there's a place in the police department where you can do what you love. I mean, I'm a cop here hosting a podcast. Yeah. Who would have thought yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did the NYPD aviation unit ever like appeal to you? Is, or did you only want to be a commanding officer and then community affairs or? It's funny you say that because that post I posted this morning about breaking barriers, um, actually, before I got here, it was a position open to be the CEO of aviation. So um, I put in for that position and I was in a good spot, a uh, good space to take it. Um, even the rumors were saying Inspector Faison is going to be the CEO of aviation. And, but I didn't get it. Things happened. So one day, the same day I was sitting down with Chief Harrison, um, I told him about it, and he said, yo, why didn't you tell me? I could have spoke to somebody. It probably would have helped you get the position. And I just never asked for help. And, some, and my post this morning, I was saying, you know, we got to break barriers. And then somebody chimed in on my post and said, you know what? You know what it is? Some guys who make it to a certain level, they don't come back and reach down and grab other people. And I don't agree with that. I think most um, executives African-American, Caucasian, whatever, they want to help people, you know? But a lot of times we don't ask for their help. And you just can't 
automatically assume just because a person is in a position, they supposed to automatically come down and grab you. There's so many people that need to help. So sometimes you got to open your mouth. I just never asked. If I would have asked, I would have been probably been the first African-American CEO of aviation. But look, I enjoy doing this more than I would enjoy being a CEO of aviation. It was worth it. I think that's, that's, that's really a thing that um, people should know that you, you have to reach out. You have to have the conversation. It's something I always say on like every other episode. You have to have the conversation and that what starts the solution to your problems or gets you closer to your goal. I think that's something people should know. Um, when, 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 when you do the aviation and um, teaching the class and you're interacting uh, with the youth, what do you think is kind of a, a key component that would allow officers to kind of build a, a positive relationship with the youth? So um, just on my class, all the programs we have in here, it's not just about the, the that material of aviation. It's a mentorship. And we go beyond just aviation in class. Sometimes I have business people come and talk to the kids. Sometimes elected officials will come and just talk about things other than aviation. So even though aviation is a big part of it, I make it more wholesome. So it's, it's not just about aviation. If you're on a basketball court, before you're playing ball or after you're playing ball, you're sitting down with Lieutenant Monty and Darnell and you're just talking about life or you're going upstairs and we're doing scenarios. So it's not just about the program. You got to sneak in the mentorship. And once the program is over after 12 weeks, I'm still getting phone calls, you know? So we had young aviators from my first class who's still going up flying. So what has been the biggest challenge, you would say, in your career, and how did you overcome it? Because you've made a lot of your dreams come true on this job. Yeah, so you've come, I like, respect, like, respectable. Like, Thank you've you. achieved a lot. Thank you. Biggest challenge, you know, when I first got on this job, there was times where I said, what the hell am I doing here? Literally, I said, I'm on the wrong side of the fence. I'll give you an example. I live in East New York. I woke up one morning, I went out to my car, and somebody stole my side view uh, mirrors. Just one, they only stole one, right? So I get in my car, I'm driving, I get to um, Pennsylvania and Dumont, right? A cop walks up to my car, I'm in a red light, he knocks on my window, and he was about to give me a summons because I had no side view mirror. So I was a victim because I woke up and I'm mad because the cops are not around and somebody victimized me. Now I got stopped by a cop and now you're going to give me a summons because this is how I feel, because you didn't do your job that my window, somebody stole my side of your mirror and now you gave me a summons. The only reason why I didn't get it is because I was on the job. But how many other people in the community got the same thing and now... So I, it's many times. I was an A1 priest. And I remember walking in the precinct and have to do my own investigation and letting people out of themselves. Like, this person shouldn't be here. Take a second to think about everything. I tell my cops all the time, look at these people as if it's your family, right? Do everything possible not to put handcuffs on them. And that's the rule. One, safety. Two, treat the community as if you live in that community. And three, have fun. And you everything is great. Yeah, I think that's really that's really admirable. Yeah. yeah. Then the the other side of it, what has been the most rewarding part of your job? And again, I feel like there's probably been a multiple, multiple things. I think the most rewarding 
you know what? When I was first assigned my own command, that's probably like the most rewarding thing that happened to me on this job. You feel like you made it, like not really made it because you know, um, the six one was my first command. When they give you the keys to a command, like you're overseeing this command, that's a lot of power. You are, you can literally like change the livelihood of people in that whole community. And they say, we entrusting you with running this whole command. I mean, you have 200 cops under you with guns, you know, and the license to take somebody's freedom away. And that's a huge thing. We are taking people freedom away, no matter what they do. I tell my cops all the time, think about it, especially new cops. Think about it. The power you have. We give you the right to kill if necessary and take somebody's freedom. You're taking a grown man and saying, you cannot go home to see your kids. You can't go to work. And sometimes we forget that. We go, I oh, just a little misdemeanor. You'll be out by a week. You can't put me in a cage for a day without me going crazy. So before you put handcuffs on somebody, you should do a full investigation to make sure everything is okay. You just don't handcuff people, put them in a cell and figure it out or let the judge figure it out. Because it's the easier way of the, yeah, yeah. One new thing I want to start adding to the podcast is every cop has a cop story. Do you have one? I'm going to give you one that I think, I was not a cop though. I got a cop story too, but... The one I think that really changed somebody's, and this, um, I was the CEO of the 8 1 precinct. I come into the precinct, there's a lady and two kids in this house. So I said, What you got? And they said, um, Burglary. We arrested her for burglary. I said, Really? I said, Tell me what happened. So we got a phone call, and the owner said, There's a family in, in the basement, and they broke in, and they damaged whatever breaking in. And I'm like, something just don't sound right. If it don't sound right, you should do a, a, a you know, more thorough investigation. So, so I said, tell me more. And he said, well, when I was speaking to a supervisor, well, I went down there, the front door window was cracked. So, and you could tell they tried to break the front door um, window, but it was cracked. And then they went around the back. And, it, and when I got there, they was like putting on new locks. Sounds kind of weird, right? Yeah. So I said, what did... The person in the cell said, he said, she gave me some bullcrap story about some lady sold her the apartment and some bullcrap story. And I said, how you know it's bullcrap? He said, she said she had a key. I said, did you check the key? No, she's lying. And, and she also gave me this paper with some legal jumble and it says, and she signed it and somebody's name is on it. And I looked up the name. The name is the name of the old owner of the building. I said, come on, something is not right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, let me talk to her. So I go in the cells, I talk to her, she tell me the story, same thing. I said, you have the key? She said, yeah, let me get the key. So I told the lieutenant, I said, listen, we're going to try this key. If this key work, she's not lying. He said, the key's not going to work, she's lying. So we go to the, I go to the building, I put the key in the door, and it opens. So I, I go, yo, listen, she's a victim. She just gave $1,500 to somebody who said, this is an apartment, the old owner. She got there, the new owner get here and say, somebody broke the window the, day be- the night before or whatever, and said, listen, these people is an apartment. They probably broke that window. We went down. We didn't do an investigation. We just locked her up, her daughter and her nephew. 
We brought them to the cells, and now she's going to spend the night, and they're going to go to Central Booking to see a judge, and the judge is going to f- figure out what's going on and let them go. But they're still going through the system. So I was like, get them out. I think that was the proudest moment on this job because I, I did a lot of other things like that, but that's one of the things that I said, you know, we saved this family. I see that. I see that. So where can people sign up for your aviation class? So they can go to the website, and it's aviationforus.com. My next class is going to start April 5th, um, the week of April 5th, and they'll go to the end of June, and they'll probably be flying at the end of June. I'm taking only 20, 10 from 14 and 16, and 10 from 17 and 19. But they really got to be serious about um, aviation. Is it like an interview process? No, it's not. Or? It's not. We take first come, first serve. But, you know, you got to understand when you do get it, somebody else is not getting it. So uh, it's a lot of times we have the parents who force their kids to do it. They're really not into the aviation. They don't want any parts of it. I kind of pick up on that quickly and I remove them from the program. We want, we want some young kid who was like me, who was really interested in learning how to fly. Yeah, who wants, who wants the opportunity and hasn't had it until now. Aviation is expensive, expensive. And, you know, this is a nonprofit organization. Um, when I do my aviation program, I don't do it on job time. So I sign out of work, I put on my aviation stuff, and I do it on my own time for free. Um, all that flying, I do that just by donations. So I have a, a Facebook um, page, people donate there, people can donate for the aviationforus.com, but all of that is just from the community. And just to, so I wanna make sure I keep it kinda separate so the right intentions are always right, there. Right. Yeah. And what about the center itself? What kind of programming do we do we offer here? So the center, so we're gonna start new programming, new cycle come March first. And we had we, we hit three um, three parts of program. So we have the education, we have social, and we have recreational. So um, the recreational, of course, we're gonna have a martial arts program, we're gonna have a um, basketball program. We got Brooklyn Titans chair program. We have boxing classes. Um, we have CrossFit training for some of the recreational. Um, the educational, we got robotics and coding academy. Best I volunteer ambulance corps, which is very important. I, I like this program because they are a program in Best I. They do volunteer ambulance corps. Before I got on this job, I got my EMT license from Best I Valleys. So they're gonna come in this building and do programming here. Um, Taylor May, DJ classes, to name a few. And aviation for us, of course. If you're interested in any of these programs, come on down to 127 Pennsylvania Avenue in Brooklyn, and you can sign up at the center itself. Uh, you can also find, what's our Instagram? 127 Pennsylvania or 127Pen? 127Pen. So follow us on Instagram as well, where you can uh, also see what other programs we have coming up. Well, Inspector, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and say uh, how inspirational it is to see how many of your dreams you've been able to accomplish on this job and and accomplish for yourself as well. It truly is incredible. Was there anything else that you want to mention before we get out of here? You know, this is going to sound corny, but I, when people tell me, like, anything you want to say to the kids before you leave, I always say, like, corny stuff. Because corny stuff is most of the time the truest things, right? So if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And it's so real. When I was studying for my exams, literally, when I was studying for sergeants, one day I looked in the mirror and I saw me in a sergeant's uniform. 
and I knew I had it. And it happened at every position in my career. You believe it so much, you'll see it, and it definitely happened. John, thank you for joining us. Boss, thank you for joining us. For John, for Inspector Faison, I am Officer Joe Galetta. Thank you for opting in. <laughs>